Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. If my voice sounds a little deep and uh, uneven, it's because I've been battling a little bit of a cold, uh, flu, uh, walking pneumonia. I've uh, been coughing a lot, so it's been a, a couple of uh, rough weeks for me, and I'm going to get through this, hopefully, uh, without any uh, further ado. I'm going to talk NFL on this edition of the podcast. Dennis Wozak of the Associated Press will join me in a little bit to talk about the New York Jets. Let's begin our NFL talk with the New York Giants and a, fr- a friend of ours we haven't spoken to in a while, uh, Pat Leonard of the uh, New York Daily News, has been a very busy man with this uh, team this year. New coach, new GM. Uh, they got off to a great start, Pat. First of all, thank you for coming back on. I appreciate you. I mean, uh, as I said, it's been a while since we chatted, but uh, this team has started out six and one, but one, three and one in its last five. Which uh, which Giants team is this? <laughs> That's a good question. No, it's great to be back on, Ken. Yeah, it's been a busy year. Started a new podcast, uh, talking ball with Pat Leonard, talking the whole NFL, not just Giants. But as you can imagine. We're talking a lot of NFC East anyway, because yeah. it's basically the best division in football. And in New York, New Jersey, the fans around here are so grateful to have relevant football this deep in the year. It's crazy. That said, you hit on an interesting point and the right point, which is the Giants team that people around the country think they know from the early part of the year when they started 6-1 and one, is no longer residing in East Rutherford, New Jersey. They are still... They're still confident internally, and they're not rolling over. We even had conversations with them during this Eagles week. Some players saying, man, you know, we're going to give them a better game than people expect. We can beat them. We're going to beat them, that kind of stuff. No guarantees or anything, but they're not rolling over. That said, one win in their last five games and the only win over the worst team in the NFL, the Houston Texans, they're struggling to run the ball. They're turning the ball over a little bit more. They're really doing everything that they weren't doing in the early season. And the final piece of the puzzle is that injuries really have started to catch up with them. Every team has them, but the Giants are once again one of the most injured teams in the league. And they have lost some key players, including top corner Adoree Jackson, that have just made it very difficult for them to compete through four quarters. Yeah, the injuries, I mean, I mean, I go back to the 70s and 80s where, you know, guys weren't getting injured that much. I mean, it seems like maybe the, these guys are too in shape and work out too much that their their bodies break down a lot quicker. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think the game has, the game has gotten, it's always been physical. I will say that the athletes who play the game have gotten bigger, stronger, faster. And the collisions, therefore, the physics of the collisions mm-hmm. are different. Um, there's no question about that. You know, like I, I remember, I can't remember who did the story in Sports Illustrated. This is a while ago now, but it was a great story. It might have been Greg Bishop, but it was about Jordan Reed, the tight end who played for Washington. And it was about his talent and injury history. And it went into all these permutations of, you know, linebackers are used to hitting a wide receiver who's this strong, this big, and this fast at this high a velocity in the middle of the field. And so the concussions, 
the broken elbows, those things are happening more often because the modern NFL has those kind of guys running into each other. I think also, though, every team has a new, a different training staff, a different regimen, and a certain process they believe in. Mm-hmm. And with the Giants specifically, Ken, they're coming off a Joe Judge era where, you know, a lot of the internal talk and frustration and finger pointing was over how much he made the team run and, you know, penalty laps. And a lot of the blame for them being hurt in his final year was placed on Judge and the coaching staff. The fact of the matter is, though, they now have had the most injured team in the league or one of them under a fourth straight head coach this year. And I think we can all agree it's no longer the head coach. It is the program that's being put in place behind the scenes. And um, what the Giants have done this year is they dialed everything back. You know, it's a good way to get players on your side, right? You know, you you react the other way to what the previous staff did. They lighten practices. They shorten practices. But, you know, part of the reason people like Judge and the Bill Belichick tree believe in training hard is because they think that your body needs to be more ready than ever in the modern NFL to take those hits. And if you rest, it keeps your body fresh for then, but it doesn't prepare you for actual football. Um, You know, and I think that you're always going to have this argument between coaches and players of how much practice time is necessary. And obviously Baker Mayfield and, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield's win for the Rams on on Thursday night football over the Raiders does not help the coaches cause that practice is necessary. (laughs) But, um, you know, look at the team like the Cincinnati Bengals. You have a team where, you know, they're they're a team that gives some guys rest days. They had Joe Burrow kind of banged up after that appendectomy or the appendix surgery earlier in the year. And for the first four, five, six weeks of the season, you're saying, didn't this team win the AFC last year? What's going on? But by week eight, week nine, they look like themselves. Why? Well, because they don't practice as much now under the new collective bargaining agreement in the offseason. So a lot of times, there's a lot of coaches around the league. You, you know, you don't want to tell fans not to watch the early games because they'll still be exciting. But there's a lot of coaches in the league who will tell you behind the scenes, you know, we're not going to be the team that we think we can be until week six, week seven, week eight, because we haven't practiced enough. So that's a long-winded answer to to your question. Yeah, yeah the last time we talked, you mentioned Joe Judge was the head coach. Uh, David Gettleman was the uh, general manager. Now Joe Shane's general manager, or Brian Dable's head coach, are bringing that Buffalo Bills style of play. How do you think so far? I mean, the record shows that it's succeeding, but I mean, is it – Real success at this point, or or just everybody happy that the other two gentlemen are no longer there? <laughs> that's a, that's a good question. I think um, there's certainly excitement internally that they've won way more games than they anticipated this year. Because as much as John Marrow wants to buy into a long term rebuild vision, he never wants to lose, and that's been part of the reason coaches like Judge haven't lasted here is because, like he promised Joe Judge, a minimum of three years. And then after a second bad year where they're embarrassed in the division and nationally, the, you know, the Giants just pull the plug. Uh, so that's something Dable and Shane have to be aware of where everybody knows and, and Joe Shane has sold them on the idea of this is just year one of a process. And that's true. But the interesting thing, Ken, is if they had started, let's say, one and six, and then they had charged and down the stretch and won, you know, 
seven or eight games down the stretch, this would feel like a great season. Mm -hmm. But the way it's trending, it's possible they might have hurt themselves. I know this sounds odd, but if they had that great six and one start, but they only finish with, you know, seven or eight wins. Now you're looking at from the ownership suite of what the heck happened here, you know, because you've, you've kind of convinced them over the course of a couple of months that your team's not as bad maybe as you thought they were. And then they start looking for reasons why you faltered. Yeah. I mean, Brian Dable probably won a lot of people over that opening game going for two against Tennessee and, and getting it. Uh, I mean, how, how is he as a coach right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that, that play, um, that's an astute observation, too, that it wasn't just about winning that game. It was about, you know, setting a tone for how he was going to coach. And that really galvanized the Giants, Ken. I mean, they won a bunch of games there against Baltimore, Green Bay, you know, all these teams where or even the Carolina game, you know, it wasn't a great game or anything. But this is just a Giants team with a, with a bunch of players on it that are used to not closing out games, mm-hmm. you know. Under the previous regime, they were in a lot of close games. They just didn't close them out. The difference this year was that Dable kind of instilled some belief early. Saquon Barkley was healthy, which is the big one. And then they started winning when the games were up in the air and could have gone either way. Where Dable is now, he's coaching more conservatively, which is a bit concerning. Now, Their offense is limited, so just like Joe Judge was coaching them to protect them from themselves, Brian Dable is now doing that too. The problem is Dable set one tone, I'm going to coach this way, and I want us to be aggressive. And now he's kind of trying to protect Daniel Jones and the offense from themselves. So he needs to get a win, Ken. I mean, that that sounds very obvious to say about any coach, but they are the only – Sal Palantonio gave me this stat on the podcast the other day – the, the Giants are the only team of the 14 current playoff qualifiers that doesn't have a win in, in their own division. Wow. And they're 0-2-1, two, two losses to the Cowboys and a tie with Washington. So they have two games left against the Eagles and one more against Washington. What Dable has to do is win games in division and not get embarrassed in games like this one against the Eagles, which is very possible it could happen. Yeah, you look at this Eagles team, I mean, I never expected this. I mean, I mean that uh, Jalen Hurts has made so much of improvement. You know, they get AJ Brown from Tennessee, and it's it's it's, it's clicking on all cylinders right now. So, what do the Giants have to do to slow it down? Yeah, I think um, not turn the ball over. You know, the Eagles, as you know, they lead the league in turnover differential, in takeaways, in give in uh, in lowest turnovers. The Giants are plus three overall on the season, and Daniel Jones has cut his turnovers down from 1.1 per game last season to 0.5 this season. So he's halved his turnovers to this point and and his turnover rate. But, Ken, he has turned the ball over three times in the last three games. Mm -hmm. And if they turn the ball over against the Eagles, they're going to get killed. Uh, the other thing is I think everybody saw in that Washington, uh, the, the one game the Eagles lost to Washington, the two things that happened was the Eagles lost a turnover battle. The other thing was Washington had the ball basically the whole game. I yeah. mean, they had the ball over 40 minutes. Really, the only way to beat the Eagles is to keep Jalen Hurts off the field. I mean, if he's on the field for an extended period of time, they're going to score and they're going to score touchdowns. So um, the Giants defense, their pass rush got better last year, last week with Aziz Ojolari coming back. Um, 
he had been out most of the year. He came in like gangbusters at a bunch of pressers, uh, had a sack fumble that got them their touchdown in early second half, which is the reason they didn't lose the game. Um, so their pass rush has improved, but I think that it really comes down to run the ball with Saquon, who needs to start playing better than he has been, win the turnover battle, and you know control possessions. You mentioned Daniel Jones, and it's a question I think we always talk about to him every time. He wasn't extended. Is this the, the final year of Daniel, Daniel Jones as a Giants quarterback? It might be. I, I think he's earned the franchise tag and an extra year based on how he's played. I personally believe that. Uh, they have a decision to make of whether to use a fran- the tag on either Jones or Saquon. Uh, so there's, there's some thought to the idea that because Barkley's tag would be cheaper, um, that Joe Shane and the Giants might use it there rather than Daniel. I'm not completely sold on that. Um, I think they view Barkley as a face of franchise guy, and so they might actually end up looking to sign him to a reasonable deal and then tagging Jones. So, you know, you're not committing long-term to Jones, but you're you're kind of keeping him as the placeholder. Um, he still has not had the supporting cast that John Mara and the Giants said that, that he was going to have. Um, you know, you look at Jalen Hurts in a prove it year and Daniel Jones in a prove it year and what they're working with. I mean, that's all you, that's all you need to see yeah. the difference in, you know, um, the giants also have won themselves out of a top five, top 10 pick so far. So they're not even in position to get draft a quarterback. If, even if they wanted to, without giving up a ton of assets to go get it. So, um, you know, at this moment, I think he's their quarterback for week one of next season, but Ken, you and I both know if the Giants continue to slide down the stretch and they barely win any more games from here on out, I mean, you, you know, he won't be their QB. Look at this NFC East. Week. Two years ago, it was the worst division in football. No winning records. What What do you think has turned it around for the uh, NFC East this year? Well, they've played the N- the AFC South this year. That's, that's helped them. <laughs> um, you know, that's... I wish it were more complicated than that. I mean, that's that's certainly helped. I, I know. I think the stat the other night uh, was that they are. I think the NFC East is eleven and one, wow. or twelve or twelve and one to date against the AFC South this season. So that has helped them very much, and that's obviously just in the schedule matrix that rotates. Um, you know, I think I think the Cowboys and the Eagles both they have had the skeletons of some of the more talented rosters in the league, even with the the division being down recently, you know, the Cowboys have, have been one of the more talented teams in the league for the last several years. Um, the Eagles had some injuries and had some turnover, but, you know, I think both of those teams you could put up against most, if not all other teams in the league and say, this team has more talent. I think I personally, I know he's not perfect and no one is. I think Howie Roseman's the best GM in the league. Um, you know, I think what he's been able to do, I talked to some salary cap specialists about the way that they've made things work with player contracts and been able to fit guys on. And also, just like Les Snead with the Rams last year and the last several years, I think Howie has a good nose for when it's time to go for it, when it's time not to. Um, you know, so those those teams, that's what I put up there. I think the Giants had a combination of, like I said, early success that, that helped them believe when, when they were in these tight games and also a softer schedule early. And Washington, I mean, they just have some kind of like little intangible thing with Taylor Heineke. Um, you know, plus their defense is pretty good. 
but I really largely can think it's been the schedule. And um, I think you're going to see teams like the Giants and Washington at least regress to the mean a little bit down the stretch here. Uh, the Eagles and Cowboys, though, I'm not, I'm not so sure. Yeah. Do the Giants make the playoffs? The odds are that they do. I don't think they will. I think they get crushed by the Eagles, and then I think they lose to Washington. And the bottom line is, Ken, regardless of what happens in this Giants-Eagles game, the winner of the the Sunday night Week 15 game between the Giants and Commanders in Washington, that game pretty much will decide which of those teams goes to the playoffs. Um, you know, the Giants losing to the Eagles would give them and the Commanders identical 7-5-1 and records for that game. So the winner would have a huge advantage off of that with the win and the tie. The Seahawks are the other team, basically, that those two are contending with, unless someone like the Lions makes a crazy charge down the stretch. The Seahawks don't have an easy schedule down the stretch either. So losing that game doesn't mean you're out, but it means you're likely out. Um, I think that the Giants' injuries, combined with the way that they're struggling to run the ball now, are catching up to them. I could be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong, because it's been fun to cover more wins, and there's been a lot of losing around here. So yeah. uh, we'll see. We'll see. So uh, you, you talked about your uh, new podcast. Uh, give a chance here to promote yourself. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's called Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. It's on the Believe Network, and uh, you can find it wherever you get your podcast. You know, Apple, Spotify iHeartRadio, Overcast, but I also have it, I do it completely on video as well, Ken, so every full episode is posted on my YouTube page, that's at PL on NFL, we had the great Sal Palantonio on from ESPN this week, he's actually calling the game in the ESPN National Radio booth with Chris Carlin at MetLife Stadium on Sunday, Um, so he helped me break down Giants, Eagles, NFC East for 40 minutes. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to plug that. I think we've had a lot of fun. It's only going to get better. Of course, I think you and I, growing up in Philadelphia, remember Sal Pousley, a reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer, so he's made, made a nice transition to TV. No, Nobody likes Sal Pow to talk about NFL, <laughs> talk about the Eagles. And, and like you said, growing up where I did in Northeast Philly, I mean, you know, having Sal Palantonio on my podcast, i got to pinch myself, man. He is uh, he's the best. Well, I pinch myself every time I have you on. We go, of course, we uh, go with our Holy Ghost connection. So uh, yeah, I appreciate baby. you coming on, Pat. And uh, we'll talk uh, hopefully uh, later on this season to see if the Giants get to the playoffs. Appreciate the time as always, Ken. That I sounds good. Let's do it again. Yeah, appreciate the time too, Pat. That's Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News. I'll have Dennis Wazak of the Associated Press talking New York Jets football. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hi, this is Daily Gazette Opinion Editor Mark Mahoney. I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous and healthy 2023. Are you an enthusiastic sports fan? Want to have fun and get in on the action? Heck yes, that'd be awesome. Have great attention to detail? Want to stay active? Definitely. Want to give back to the student-athletes in your community? Obviously, yes. Then you'd make an excellent high school sports official. We need more officials in New York, because with no high school officials, there are no high school sports. Sign up today at highschoolofficials.com. Hi, this is Daily Gazette, Director of Content Michael Kelly. I would like to wish you a happy holiday season and a great 2023.
Welcome back to the podcast. Let's over to the other side of MetLife Stadium with the New York Jets and the man who covers them for the uh, Associated Press and covers the NFL, Dennis Wazak Jr., joining us again. Dennis, uh, welcome back to the podcast. And uh, big game for the Jets on Sunday. Uh, they've beaten Buffalo once this season. They go up to Buffalo on Sunday. And what is the status of this team going into that game? I think they're uh, they're optimistic. I think they've they've seen what they need to do in order to beat this team, um, and and how to somewhat I wouldn't say neutralize, but kind of keep Josh Allen in check, and which is not an easy thing. Uh, Josh Allen after that game uh, said he was he was terrible. He you know acknowledged that he didn't play well. I think there's uh, a revenge factor. On his part as well, he wants to, you know, show that that was just something that, uh, you know, was a, a one-off and not something that is going to be uh, a trend when they play the Jets because the Jets have a, a strong defense. We've seen it all season, uh, you know, and, and maybe they've got some sort of formula to kind of figure out what to do against Josh Allen, but it's a big ask to do that again, uh, you know, two games in a row and against a team that really still has Super Bowl aspirations in Buffalo. But it's a big game for the Jets, really. It, it's not a must-win. I know some people are kind of saying that right now. I, I don't think it is, but I think if they do win, it goes a long way into telling people what this team is capable of and, and that they're a dangerous team, more dangerous than people think right now. Yeah, the Bills are 9-3, and three, the Jets 7-5. and five. The Jets win, they sweep the season series and have that tiebreaker. Should they end up tied? But um, the last time the Bills and Jets met, there was a different quarterback for the Jets, Zach Wilson. Now it's Mike White. Uh, how would you assess? First, let's let's talk about Mike White. How would you assess his uh, play in his two games so far? I, I like that he's been efficient and he's been doing the things that they wanted to see from Zach Wilson earlier in the season. And that it really is is simple. It's just take what the defense is giving you and and just. You know, make plays, connect with the wide receivers. Make, don't force anything. Don't play hero ball. And that's something that we've heard with Zach Wilson. And, and he's acknowledged that himself, you know, not, not trying to play hero ball. And Mike White actually brought that up the other day when we were talking to him that he, he knows because he lost to Buffalo last year when he was filling in for Zach Wilson through four interceptions in that game, he has to keep in mind that he can't, play hero ball and that's trying to do too much trying to make things happen and that's really what Mike White has been successful at doing when he's had his good games I mean there's not a big uh, list of them there's not a, a broad history from Mike White at the NFL level but you know in his five starts for the most part other than that Buffalo game he's been pretty solid and efficient and he's brought some confidence I think you know he's a guy who um, you know, he's been around in the league, doesn't have a lot of playing experience, but he sees how things work. And I think that's the thing that has really kind of come out that you've seen him uh, be able to handle the big moments. And this is certainly a big moment. And I think the Jets believe that he can handle it and that he's a different quarterback than the one that Buffalo saw a year ago. Is Mike White won over the locker room? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I still believe, and I know there's a lot that's been said and talked about and debated about over Zach Wilson. Uh, I still believe that he's he's liked by you know his teammates. I think Mike White has taken it to a different level 
and it's because of what he's been able to do. There's a there's a respect factor there. There's a guy who almost got cut in the offseason, who worked his way up from number three to number two, and now he's the starter, uh, and he's played well. Uh, he's a friendly guy. He's easy to get along with. Um, he's, he's, like I mentioned earlier, he brings a confidence um, into that huddle as well. Not that Zach Wilson didn't. Um, because, it, hey, in that Pittsburgh game that he led the Jets back, um, he said, let's go score a touchdown. And I think they that was that was almost, you thought, going to be where the light went on with Zach Wilson. But with Mike White, there's something just, he, he's cool and calm. And, and uh, you know, I just, I think that's where, where he's been able to excel. And, um, you know, I, I think his teammates see it, his coaches see it, he works hard, and they feel like, hey, you know, he hasn't just been thrust into this situation because Zach Wilson has struggled. He's been put in this situation because he's earned it. Zach Wilson, did he lose the locker room with that comment, the, the, the one-word comment, no one asked about letting down the defense after the loss to New England? Yeah, I, I think uh, it rubbed people the wrong way. I think, um, you know, there, there's a little bit of um, uh, perspective that, that needs to to you know, be talked about with that. I think he was coming off a bad game uh, where they clearly, uh, he clearly did not do enough and uh, to, to help the team win. And I, I think he was just bothered by the questions and it got to him and he snapped, you know, by saying no. Um, not thinking about the ramifications of that answer. And I think that's all part of the maturation of an NFL starting quarterback. And I, I think that's where he needs to learn that all eyes are on him. I, he, he knew that before, but he's got to keep that in mind where every little comment, especially in this market, um, is magnified and amplified. And, and it's not just for the media. It's not just for the fans, but it's for the guys in that locker room. So it did rub some guys the wrong way. I think he kind of won them back by talking to them a few days later um, and, and really kind of uh, being humble, uh, being humbled by the situation and, and taking responsibility uh, for his comment. And I, I think that's the thing. But, you know, you could be you could be brash. You could be bold. If you're winning, it means something different, you know, and if you're you're acting that way and you're not playing well and you're losing. I mean, that, that was not the case with Zach Wilson. They were winning despite his struggles. Um, you know, I, I think it, it goes a long way into bringing the locker room together. So, so that's, that's definitely an aspect that's at play here because um, you see the Jets players last week uh, going to Minnesota. They're wearing Mike, some of them are wearing Mike White t-shirts. I mean, that tells you all you need to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, how does he get his job back, or does he get his job back? I mean, do the Jets or will the Jets be looking for another quarterback in the offseason? I, I mean, I think uh, you know everything's on the table. I mean, I think that really is the honest answer here. And I think uh, the Jets don't know yet. Uh, I, they've said Robert Sala has said, you know, the intent is to have Zach Wilson play again this season. But the only way that's going to happen is if Mike White absolutely struggles and for a stretch. Not just one game, not just this week against Buffalo, not you know just next week. It's going to take a few games, and it, where they're they're losing, and they, they've got to make a change. And the, the, if they're confident enough 
that Zach Wilson has gotten over some of the mental and physical issues that have plagued him earlier in the season. So, um, I mean, I don't see it happening that Zach Wilson will play again this year unless that happens. Um, you know, and then you have to really think hard. Now, here's the wild card in all of this, Ken. Mike White is a free agent after this year. Mm-hmm. So his, his stock is rising, and so is his asking price. So you're going to have to make a really, uh, you know, important call here if you're the Jets and you're Joe Douglas. Um, do you bring Mike White back to be your starter? Because he probably wouldn't come back as this, the backup at backup pay. So, um, and Zach Wilson is still on the contract for you know a few more years here. So, um, it's going to be an interesting offseason. I think here's the bottom line: if Mike White plays well and they win and they make the playoffs, I don't know that you're you're looking at Aaron Rodgers and some of the other guys that have been floating around, um, you know, on sports radio and that kind of thing. So. Um, I, I think it's really all in Mike White's hands right now, which is amazing to think, you know, just a few weeks ago that that would be the case. Is Zach Wilson going to be inactive again this weekend? Uh, I believe so. I think that's the plan, um, you know, moving forward to have Jack, Joe Flacco as the backup. I think they're still ready to, uh, you know, they, they don't want to put him in a position yet where, um, he needs to play. I think they really want to iron out all of the issues that he's got. Uh, but I, I would think, you know, in another week or two, maybe that's the, that's the case where you don't want him to play necessarily, but um, you give him some of that optimism that, okay, you know, if something happens, I can play. Because right now, that's not the case. And you want to see, at the, at the very least, right, if you're the Jets, you want to see that he's made enough improvements where you can make him active on game day. Because people were talking about, hey, you know, maybe the Jets trade Zach Wilson in the offseason. Well, he's got no trade value right now. He can't even be active on game day. So, um, so many things at play right now. I mean, there's still five games left in the year, so a lot of things can happen. But uh, right now, this is Mike White's team, as far as we can see. Despite all this, the quarterback situation and injuries, all that, the Jets are 7-5, and five, as I said earlier. Are you surprised that they're 7-5? and five? I mean, how... Better have they been as opposed to last year? Yeah, I totally surprised that they're seven and five, and and really, you can make an argument that you know a couple of plays here and there, they could be, you know, they could be nine and three. You know, if they make a play against a couple of plays against Minnesota, yeah. they win last week. If, if they make a couple of plays against New England in one of those two losses, then you know that's another win. So um, I think that's promising and encouraging if you're the Jets and if you're a Jets fan, because um, in a lot of cases in previous years and multiple previous years, uh, when you go down 20 to three in the first half, like the Jets did last week on the road at Minnesota, well, that game's going to be, you know, 35, six or 42, six or something like that. But, you know, they're hanging in there and they're, they're really showing that, that the, the gap between them and some of the better teams in the NFL has closed. Like they've gotten to the point where they can compete pretty much with everybody now. So, um, and that's something that hasn't been said around here in, in years, you know, over 10 years when Rex Ryan was leading them to the AFC championship game. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's the encouraging thing and, and it's surprising, but I think the most important part of that is they've got a base that is, uh, uh, sustainable because there are so many young pieces here that can be 
build, they could build around on defense, on offense, on the offensive line, the the cornerback. You know that all of that right there. It's something where you're looking forward now. If they could just get the quarterback in a situation resolved and know what they're doing, well, then you know who knows what they could do next season. Yeah, uh, this Bills team—they uh, had a bit of a mini slump. Uh, had some distractions having to play a home game in Detroit because of the uh, uh, the, the blizzard a couple weeks ago, and now they're back on top of the AFC uh, thanks to Kansas City losing to Cincinnati on Sunday. Uh, with them back on top of the AFC, I mean, how big is this game for them to you know keep a stranglehold and you know having and get home field throughout the AFC uh, playoffs? Yeah, and that's that's a good point because I think a lot of people, especially here in this area, are talking about how big the game is for the Jets. Well, yeah, this is a big game for Buffalo because now you get back on track and 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 truly in that in the division and you know in in the conference where you know that okay. We're the we're the top dogs here. We we are the guy. We're the team to beat in the AFC again. When everyone thought earlier in the season that kind of thing, that you can make that argument again, where you you're establishing yourself. Um, so and I, and I think like I mentioned earlier about Josh Allen, while it's not a revenge game for him, but if he has a good game against the Jets, he kind of just kind of washes that last performance away. And um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be hard for the Jets to win in Buffalo, you know, with that crowd and in that stadium and with this this team. The other thing is Buffalo has a completely different secondary than than what the Jets saw last time. Uh, they had so many injuries, um, so it'll be interesting to see how uh, you know the the Jets wide receivers match up against this Bills secondary that that is is improved since you know a few weeks ago when they last played. Of course, they Bills lost a pass rusher uh, Von Miller for the season with a torn ACL. Is that going to make be a factor? I I, I think it, it could, uh, you know, because I mean, anytime you lose a Von Miller, um, you know, I mean that's 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 tough to uh, replace. Um, the Jets have issues on their offensive line, though, and I, I think we've been saying that pretty much all season. And uh, because I I believe um, if George Fant starts at right tackle this year. It'll be the seventh different starting lineup on the offensive line in 13 games. So they've had mix and match. They've had to mix and match guys throughout the year. Um, so um, a pass rush without Von Miller will certainly be welcomed by the Jets. The AFC East has been pretty good this year, surprisingly good. I mean, are you kind of surprised with uh, the way the, the division has turned out so far? I, I think um, – you know, going into the season, you thought Buffalo and Miami were both going to be good. And um, I don't think anyone could have foreseen how good uh, Tua would have, you know, was going to be. I mean, he's had a terrific season for Miami. And, you know, just pairing Harry Kill with Jalen Waddell, I mean, you've seen what that's meant to that offense. And um, the Dolphins are dangerous, you know, and the Bills are, you know, who we, you know, have thought they were going to be. Uh, but you throw in the Jets, who are a surprising team, and they've got a terrific defense, and they're giving teams fits. You know, so you have those three teams, and New England's always New England. I mean, right now they're kind of, you know, down and out a little bit. But I mean, can you really count them out against anybody with Bill Belichick? You know, I, I don't, I don't know that I'm ready to do that um, for them against anyone yet. So that makes that division completely 
you know, tough. I, you know, I, th- there's no easy win. So if you do win that division, uh, it really makes a statement that, you know, hey, you know, we won in one of the toughest, if not the toughest, division in football. Well, Dennis, appreciate a few minutes uh, with your insight into the Jets. And, uh, hey, the Jets make the playoffs. We'll talk uh, th- in January. <laughs> that sounds good. It's been uh, it's been 11 years in the making there. So, uh, that, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. It's Robert, been a while. Yeah, Robert Sock can collect those on those receipts that he has. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Dennis, thank you very much, and have a happy holiday. Same to you, Ken. Thanks. That's Dennis Wozniak, Jr. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winners in the Daily Gazette's You Pick a Football Contest in just a moment. You're listening to the Party Shots Podcast. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam. I would like to wish you a happy holiday season and a great 2023. I'll never forget the day I decided to go out for the football team. Mr. Banks, the JV football coach and my history teacher, asked me to stay after class. I thought I was in trouble. He said, hey, Darius, have you thought about going out for football? I think you'd be great. Fact is, I never played football. Fact is, I never had anyone tell me I'd be great at something. So, with no experience at all, I signed up. And a week later, I padded up and was running drills on the field. I never was great, but playing high school sports was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I was accepted by my teammates, and I learned that when someone believes in you, you can believe in yourself. Encourage a student you know to take part in a high school sport. This message presented by NISFA and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter Ted Remsnyder. I would like to wish you a happy holiday season and a great 2023. Back to wrap up the podcast, we got some catching up to do here with the uh, Daily Gazette's You Pick'em Football Contest winners. The Week 12 winner was uh, Maureen Van Heusen of Schenectady. Maureen wins a $100 Hannaford gift card. Congratulations, Maureen. The VIP winner was Tom Catugno of BL's Tavern and Grill. Uh, the Week 13 winner was Robert McLaughlin of Schenectady. Robert wins a $100 Hannaford gift card. Congratulations, Robert. The VIP winner was Andrew Krounce of Glenville Beverage. I have lost my lead in the VIP contest. I am 123-70-2, one game behind the new leader, Andrew Krounce. My Gazette colleague, Adam Schinder, is 114-79-2. I'll announce the winner of the U-Pick'em football contest, and that winner's name will appear in Thursday's Daily Gazette. To play in the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click on the You Pick'em Football banner. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates and news and sports on how COVID-19 is affecting us in the Capital Region. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this situation. We appreciate the job you are doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank Pat Leonard and Dennis Wozak Jr. for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette company. 
the Parting Shots Podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and I'll leave you with a tribute to Christine McVie of Fleetwood Mac, who died November 30th at the age of 79. A great singer, songwriter, and keyboard player, McVie helped the group reach superstar status in 1977 with the release of the album Rumors. It's one of the greatest albums of all time, and it was crafted during a time when the band was going through major issues. McVie had a lovely voice, and you'll hear it here on a snippet of You Make Love and Fun. Thank you for the music, Christine. Rest in peace. <laughs>